So we are in the middle of a series in which we are talking about uh, the core values, uh, what we believe and what makes us tick in the Christian and Missionary Alliance, and we believe these are the core values not just of our denomination, um, but we believe they're the core values of Jesus Christ. They're what make him tick in a sense as he uh, leads us in, in, uh, in obeying his great commission and carrying his gospel to every nation on earth. Uh, one of those values is that prayer is the primary work of God's people. And there is no one that I would rather hand the microphone off to to share with you uh, that particular uh, core value than the gentleman that I'm introducing to you now, Reverend Hal Bosenberg. Um, he has been a missionary with the Christian Missionary Alliance in uh, Cote d'Ivoire, West Africa, for many years. Uh, many of you have known him for as long as I've known you. He's been here along uh, with his wife, um, Betty, and uh, now remarried to Nancy, um, and she is out here somewhere, I'm sure, cheering him on. But uh, Al, he misses us sometimes because he is often um, preaching in other places. He'll be preaching out in uh, Boone next week, but we are happy to have him with us here today, uh, Reverend Al Bosenberg, on, on teaching on what I think is one of the things that makes him tick, and, um, and that would be prayer. Al. Thank you. Uh, my background is quite a bit different than when uh, someone that you would think would be. I was a pastor in three churches for 13 years and uh, as well as almost 30 years on the mission field. So I have been around a little bit, but I didn't start out that way. I was born and raised in the roughest section of New York City in the Bronx, New York, uh, highest crime rate, and my parents moved out. <laughs> Otherwise, I'd probably be in prison today. But in the process of getting ready to serve the Lord, we had to go through school and I, I had to work uh, in order to pay the bills and so forth. I worked at one of the largest automobile plants uh, in the United States and uh, it, I learned something about that that kind of relates to what we're going to talk about here today. We have seven core values in the Christian Missionary Alliance and uh, I'll, I'll just go through them because some of you have been here for one of them and not for another one and so forth. I just want to just tell you what they are. And uh, I, I, I just felt that I woke up last night and this thought came to me. You know, when I worked in the Ford plant, if you've never been in an automobile assembly plant, there are, there are parts of an automobile, automobile that come from all over the place. And they all have to meet together to make the finished product. And uh, I thought to myself, you know, that's the way it is at the Christian and Missionary Alliance. Pastor did a wonderful job uh, a couple of months ago going through the four essential uh, doctrines of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. We honor Jesus Christ as our savior, our sanctifier, our healer, and our coming king. And uh, uh, in addition to that, uh, he wanted to go ahead and add to that presentation a uh, presentation involving different members of the pastoral staff and yours truly here. Uh, and uh, those, uh, those particular values are very, very important to the reason why we are here today. And uh, in as much as this congregation has carried out those core values, and that in as much as the Alliance has carried out those core values, we can say that the measure of success that we have had around the world is because we have respected these truths from the Word of God. Back a while, I'm just going to tell you what they are. Pastor West is going to close out when he comes back from Uruguay. He's, out, he's in Uruguay with Danielle. 
uh, he's going to speak on lost people. And that core value is that lost people matter to God. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost in Luke 19.10. And uh, then today I'm with you, uh, and I'm not going to give you the dates when these people spoke, but I'm here, and prayer is the primary work of God's people. I'm going to challenge you in a little bit. Is that your primary work? Is that really what drives you? Is that, is that really what motivates you in uh, living your life for the Lord? Uh, and then pastor uh, has already spoken to us on stewardship. I really appreciate that because you went beyond the idea of money and you talked about talents and uh, the abilities that God has given to us and the various ways that we can exercise our stewardship. And then Pastor TJ began this whole series in a wonderful way with an exposition from the Word of God, from Joshua 1.8. Uh, knowing and obeying God's Word is fundamental to all true success. You cannot have true success unless you have the Word of God. God told Joshua, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you will meditate in it there, therein day and night, so that you may be able to observe all according to all that is written therein. For then you shall have good success, then you shall have uh, the blessing of God. All right, I misquoted that a little bit, but that's fine. At, at 86, I, I guess I can be forgiven for forgetting the verse. <laughs> and then uh, last week, Pastor spoke on the Great Commission, and uh, a wonderful job, Pastor, wonderful job. The, the Great Commission is very, very close to my heart, and you're going you're gonna to feel that heartbeat today, but uh, completing the Great Commission requires the mobility of every single person in this congregation, whether you know it or think so or not, because if everyone does not do their part, we will not, uh, we will not be able to accomplish the Great Commission. And then uh, Pastor Paul is going to speak next week on how we get the job done, and that is in the power of the Holy Spirit. The sixth the, uh, core value is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we, uh, we receive from God uh, whatever ability we have to do his work, and uh, that message has to go in demonstration of the Spirit of God and of power, 1 Corinthians 2, 4, and 5. And then you had Pete last, uh, when was it? Uh, I wasn't here, I was, I was in Statesville that weekend, and uh, I couldn't have thought of a better one than, than Pete's. Uh, uh, accomplishing God's purposes requires faith-filled risk. I don't know of anybody who has taken more risks than Pete, and I've worked with Pete, and I knew Pete when he was a missionary kid in Africa, and I knew Pete when he went through boot training in Fort Jackson, uh, South Carolina. And some of you don't know it, but uh, <laughs> he, he broke his leg uh, in the time of uh, crawling under barbed wire and everything, uh, and uh, live fire, and he completed that course and shone in the midst of all of that. And they offered him a job with the special forces. He said, no, I'm sorry. God has called me to something more important than that. And of course, he went on to be a missionary in Africa. And then he worked with Envision here in the States. But uh, I just want you to know that uh, God has a way of choosing out people and getting the job done. Now, I would like to begin today by giving you a scripture reading, but you're not gonna find it. 
because I'm going to go, I'm going to give you a number of verses. And these verses are some of the most wonderful promises that you can find in the Word of God. So think of this as your scripture reading for this morning, Matthew 7, 7. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Matthew 18, 19. If two of you agree, how many are you this morning? If, if any two of you get together and you agree together, if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they may ask, it shall be done and they, it, it shall be given to you. John 14, 13 and 14. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. John 15, 7. If, this is the important verse, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it'll be done. You believe that? Wow. <laughs> you talk about some powerful promises here. The problem is, the condition behind all of this is the word obedience and abiding. And when we do that, then God answers. Philippians 4, 6, and nothing we anxious, but in everything, everything. I'm going to embarrass my wife and tell her this is the verse that I have to quote to her over and over again. My wife is a worry ward. If she doesn't have something to worry about, she starts worrying about that. <laughs> I love you, my dear. And I know you don't mind me using you for an illustration. Okay, they say never do that, but I know my wife and she knows me. In nothing be anxious, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And what? The peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And then James 4 verse 2, very simple. You don't have because you don't ask. You don't have because you don't ask. And then my all-time favorite, John, 1 John 5, 14 and 15. This is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, and you've got to know what the will of God is. If you ask anything according to his will, he hears you. And if you know that he hears you in whatever you ask, you know that you have the petitions that you desired of him. And then finally, I'm going to take one from one of my favorite Old Testament prophets. <laughs> Go to old Jeremiah. 33.3, and I quote this all the time to the Lord. Call unto me, and I will answer you, and show you great and mighty things which you know not. We don't get things because we don't ask with boldness. And when we ask with boldness and we step out in faith, God does wonderful things. And I'm going to tell you that if it were not for the prayers of many, many people in this church, I wouldn't be here today. If it's not for the prayers of other people that you don't know. Now, there are a lot of new people in here today, and I will tell you that I've been to death's door four times, but I'm still here. And that each time it has been because people have prayed. Well, first of all, I want you to retain those verses in your mind. And uh, let me start with my message. As my Bible teacher used to say in Bible college, all of that was my introduction. But I'm not quite as, he would be 30 minutes on the introduction, but I'm not going to take 30 minutes on the introduction. But pastor, thank you again for your treatment of the fourfold gospel. And thank you so much, especially for the one that concluded that presentation. And then you preached, you preached on it last week, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And friends, I want to tell you something. It may not have dawned on you, but everyone who is here today, you and I, are closer 
than anyone has ever been to the return of the Lord. Let that sink in for a minute. We are closer. All the past generations, it's, it's finished for them. They're dead, buried, they'll get resurrected. But we are the generation that is the closest to the coming of the Lord. And we have great reason to believe that his return is very near. We are in the words of the scripture, Acts chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, where I'm quoting Peter. We are in the last days in, in the book of Acts. This is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days. And he's talking about what happened in Acts chapter 2. God says that I will pour forth of my spirit upon all mankind. And then again, in the words of the apostle John, a few years later, in his writing in 1 John 2, 18, children, it is the last hour. It is the last hour. The last hour for John the apostle in the 90s, after the death, after 90 AD, children, it is the last hour. And just as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, even now, many antichrists have risen, and I've said it over and over. Any generation has the possibility of an antichrist arising. And this generation sure has one right now. If it could ever happen, it can happen. Children, it is the last hour, and just as you've heard that antichrist is coming, even now, many antichrists have risen. From this, we know that it is the last hour. Now, if we can progress in this way and say that Acts 2 was the last days, and John would say it is the last hour, I think we're in the last minutes. God has a timepiece, and God has a plan, and God will not be deterred from accomplishing his plan and carrying out his desire. I tell people over and over again, Open your Bible to Joel, to Daniel, to Hosea, to uh, Zechariah, to Malachi. You can choose just about any prophet in the Old Testament, and I'm reading there right now, especially among the, uh, the, what we call the minor prophets. You watch TV, and you'll see that what, ha what is going on right now has already been prophesied. Sit in front of your TV with the Bible open. So, now, for the second part of my introduction, I want you to think here for the reason for the existence of the Christian Missionary Alliance, for the existence of First Alliance Church in Lexington, North Carolina. Yes, for the, the reason for the existence of every Bible-believing and preaching church, namely, that is the completion of the task that will usher in his return. And what is it but Matthew 24, 14, which Pastor greatly elaborated on. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness to all people, and then the end will come. That's what's necessary to accomplish the Great Commission. All of these core values put together, just like all the pieces come together in the factory of Ford, and they wind up as being the finished product. Unfortunately, this church the Church of Jesus Christ in our day is in danger of completing not the Great Commission, but the Great Omission. Uh -oh. If we don't get busy and get serious about what God has called us to do, and unless we understand our responsibility, we are going to be guilty of creating the Great Omission. Hence this series on the core values. 
And if we are going to complete the task that God gave us in Matthew 28, we have to recognize where we are in God's plan of history. And I'm going to say it again. We are in the last minutes of the last hours of the last days, prophesied over and over and over again in the Bible. God's timepiece continues to tick for each of us individually and for all of us collectively. The end times will culminate in the return of Christ. And if you don't think the return of Christ is important, I will remind you that 26 out of the 27 books of the New Testament all have reference to the second coming of Christ. There's only one book that doesn't mention it. There are at least 318 references, and eight times as much about the second coming is mentioned as about the first coming. And I'm going to say, this leads me to say, that the second core value of prayer is the essential ingredient without which none of the others will be accomplished. That is, unless prayer is at the heart of the other six core values, they will mean nothing and will not be accomplished. I want you to think about this. Can you imagine finding lost people and winning them to Christ without prayer? Tell me how you can do that. Can you imagine with me stewardship and the fullness of all that stewardship means without prayer being accomplished? Can we do that without prayer? I think not. Our English teacher used to say, I don't, you're not supposed to say I don't think because you are thinking. So I say, I think not. Are you with me? Hopefully that woke you up. Okay. Can you imagine accomplishing the Great Commission without prayer? It's not possible to do it. Can you imagine knowing the power of the Holy Spirit without prayer? Can you imagine taking faith-filled risk without prayer? I'm going to tell you the answer to all the above is impossible, impossible, impossible. And if Matthew 28, 19, and 20 is the marching order for the Christian and Missionary Alliance and for our church, and if Matthew 24, 14 is the last step, we need to get serious about prayer. Now, I'm going to step aside, and I'm going to stop trying to think theologically here. I'm just going to share one or two missionary experiences with you that demonstrate, to, that demonstrate to you that God is still the God of miracles. He still works in answer to the prayers of his people. There was a time when we knelt by the side of our beds, uh, the bed of our two kids, Greg and Eric. They were both sick. And I had gotten sick after this happened, but uh, making a long story short, we just, there are times when we were on the mission field and we felt like everybody that knew us was busy doing something else because nobody was praying for us. There were things that were happening that we just could not understand. We were on our knees beside the bed and praying our hearts out. When we finally went on furlough, the Lord touched those boys, the Lord healed them both, and uh, we came home. And uh, we had to go through a regular medical exams and everything. And uh, uh, the doctor that, <clears throat> that did us was one of America's leading tropical medicine specialists. And he kept taking vials of blood. Some of the stuff I'm going to tell you, uh, some of you people already know, but it'll be good for you to hear it again. But he kept taking vials. I mean, he had this thing on my arm, and here's one vial, and then he does another one. And I started to call him Dr. Dracula. I mean, he was. So later on, we find out that he finds out that one of our sons had tropical hemorrhagic fever. You've heard of Lassa fever? You've heard of Ebola? 
That's what those things are. Normally you don't live, but God is a God of miracles. I happen to be a licensed ham radio operator. I'm still licensed. I can't operate where I am now because it's a homeowner's association, much to my chagrin, but at any rate, uh, I had some friends in Ohio and we were without rain. I mean, we had babies, we had no water to wash diapers and we, there was no water in the wells. We needed rain, the whole town needed rain, the whole country needed rain. And I got on the radio with a friend of mine, and I said, do the people in your church, it wasn't a CMA church, but it was a good church. Uh, I said, do the people in your church know how to pray? And he said, yes, we do. Why, what's the matter? And, he, and I told him, I said, we need rain. Now, the house that we had, and, and my daughter has done the same thing in the house in advance that I sold to her, all the guttering around the house is fed with rainwater going into cisterns that provide for her business, which is uh, uh, plants and flowers and so forth uh, to be sold on the property. Okay, be that as it may, that's what we had in Africa. We had a, uh, a, a great big cistern that was bone dry, no water in it at all. And I said, would you have your people pray that God will send rain? And he said, well, this is Wednesday and we have prayer meeting tonight, so we will pray from 6.30 to 7 prior to the prayer service, and we will get back together on the radio and find out what's going on. So now just remember, there's four hours difference between the time in Ivory Coast and the time in Ohio. So it's 6.30 in Ohio, and it's 10.30 at night. We had gone to bed, and I was awakened at 10.30 at night while people were praying at 6.30 in Ohio. And I could hear the rain coming down the road because in Africa with all the tropical plants and the big leaves and everything, when it rains and it and it's blowing, it sounds like a freight train coming down the street. And I, I ran outside, we had shutters on the window and I knocked the sticks out so the shutters would close and uh, I looked at my watch when I got up and ran outside and it was, it was 10.30 our time. They were praying at 6.30. I stood there and watched the water coming down and <clears throat> the water was coming through all the guttering and it filled that cistern up and when it was right at the top, it stopped. The rain stopped and I looked at my watch. What time do you think it was? Come on, people, wake up. Seven o'clock. So I get on the radio the next night and I say, boy, your people really do know how to pray. Exactly the half hour that you were praying, God sent rain for a half hour in the Ivory Coast. And there was a guy that worked for the State Department in Washington. He said, I'm a believer, but I've never heard anything like this in my life. He said, by the way, I happen to be a, dis uh, uh, oh, I forget the name of it. He, he's, a, he's a mail carrier for the government. And he said, anything that you need brought out, you need anything, I'll bring it with me and you can pick it up at the embassy. <laughs> But we, we had a revival right there on the radio. But at any rate, I just want you to know that when, when you, the call to prayer goes out and you find out that people need prayer, go to prayer and trust God to work. What can I say? We have miracles in our church. We have a, a dead man walking in this church every time. And he's at prayer meeting all the time. I wonder why he's at prayer meeting. I'm not going to tell you what his name is, but pastor made reference to him. 
I don't know if you've ever heard of the Mayo Clinic, but the Mayo Clinic is a very, it's, it's the world's leading hospital, okay. Doctors Will and Charles Mayo are the founders of the Mayo Clinic, and you wanna hear what they say? This is a quote from them. I have seen, and this is, uh, uh, this is uh, Dr., uh, Dr. Will's statement. I have seen patients that were dead by all standards. We knew that they could not live, but I have seen a minister come to the bedside and do something for him that I could not do, although I've done everything in my professional power, and in defiance of medical knowledge and materialistic common sense, that patient lived. Amen. Thank you, John. Amen. We've got one like that here. If you want to know who it is, talk to pastor. And if you ever get a chance to read a good book on prayer and you find a title by E.M. Bounds, B-O-U-N-D-S, the greatest quote from that is, much prayer, much blessing. Little prayer, little blessing. Now, some of you may recall that the last message I preached here uh, was in July of last year entitled The End Times Church. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but uh, I do know the percentage of retention on messages that are preached. But uh, I want to remind you of uh, the scripture that I used at that time was Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. And uh, <clears throat> the last part of verse 8 was the crux of the text. Do you recall what it was? If you do, just sneak your hand up and I'll... No, don't do it. That's okay. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Does it look to you as we're watching television today that there's a lot of faith on earth? <laughs> I, faith is rapidly disappearing from the face of the earth. People that should be supportive of Bible-believing people and Bible-believing nations like Israel, they are turning against them and they are turning against us. But I want to remind you that faith and prayer are so integrally related that in the latter days of the church, the apostate age, if you will, and we are in that time, there would be two primary objectives of the enemy to stop the work of God. And that is, he would try to destroy in the life of the church and to get the church so busy in everything, but prayer, both personal and group prayer, that we will be satisfied just to keep on being busy and spinning our wheels. So I'm going to ask you to permit me to ask a very personal question. How's your personal prayer life? How's our church's group prayer life? We have many, many opportunities. I, I hope that in your small groups, I hope that you do some serious praying. Uh, we don't have a lot of people that come to the uh, adult prayer meeting on Wednesday night, and that's fine. We don't need two. <laughs> but at any rate, uh, we are seeing God do some things there as we pray. And we trust that you're seeing, seeing God do some things where you are in your particular small group. I, I hope and pray that you will really put a strong emphasis upon praying. We have so many opportunities in our church. We have Wednesday night prayer meeting. We have small groups. Uh, Pastor TJ is doing this seminar today, and uh, as old as I am, as long as I've been praying, I'm looking forward to learning something new here today. And uh, I hope that you can uh, find time to go, if at all possible. We have an early morning prayer meeting at eight o'clock in the morning. We used to, used to have that prayer meeting 
And we did what uh, we call a prayer walk. Have you ever heard of a prayer walk? Uh, yeah, a couple of you do. That is one of the most powerful ways to pray. At that particular time, we would break up. And I can remember, I would go down, I would go on the outside of the building and I would walk around the building and I would pray for the morning service. Somebody else would be walking down this hall here praying for what went on down that hall. Somebody else would be down that hall, somebody else over here. You remember that, John? Oh, those were great days. And the reason we are where we are today is because there is a good foundation of prayer. I commend you, I thank you, and I encourage you to keep it up. And occasionally we have uh, concerts of prayer. Those are great times, and uh, I'd like to see you there. But I just want you to be uh, aware of the deep need that we have in our church for praying. Prayer is what undergirds all of the other core values. Where might we as a church on a scale of one to 10 be? 10 being the best and one being the worst. Are we seriously in, uh, engagingly serious about praying? personally for ourselves, for our church needs, for the needs of the unfinished task. And I ask again that same question that I asked at the end of my message last July, what should the true church, the believing church, the Bible preaching church, the church that is faithful, the church that is obedient to the great, carrying out the Great Commission, do in a time of degenerative apostasy? I'm gonna repeat my answer because sometimes we need to have things repeated. At the individual personal level, we need to make prayer and Bible reading and Bible study and sharing our faith our top priority. This is fundamental to our survival. If we don't do this, we will not survive. Barna Research, I don't know how many of you know about Barna Research, but it's a great organization that does a lot of research. And they, their research has proven that the average Christian spends only one minute a day in prayer. Sometimes up to five at most. So I don't want to be called an average believer. I hope you don't want to be called an average believer. So I say is that uh, we, need, we need to be really up to date in prayer here. Uh, I came across when I was looking at the Barna research says, uh, uh, in terms of a biblical worldview, you know what a biblical worldview is? If I asked you to give me a definition, you probably fit the same category that uh, goes to uh, uh, the research here. Only 1% of people under the year, age of 30 know what a biblical worldview is. It is the knowledge that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation that his gospel must be preached in all the world, that we must put everything that we have in terms of our resources into getting that job done because that is the primary task of the church and the only way it can be done is through prayer. One day, Charles Spurgeon, uh, the great pastor of the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, had some people that were visiting and uh, he said, I wanna show you the heating apparatus of our church. <laughs> So he took them to this one room and opened the door, and here was a room full of 400 people on their knees praying. Is there any wonder that this man had that kind of a ministry? Remember, we, well, I have one illustration that I ran across. I've used it before and I love it. I wanna share it with you. I didn't serve in the military, but I did work at Fort Jackson, and I 
help train soldiers and get soldiers ready from the spiritual standpoint. But uh, this, is, this comes from the military. Here's a soldier that was one night caught creeping stealthily back to his quarters from the nearby woods. He was taken before his commanding officer and charged with holding communications with the enemy. The man pleaded that he had gone into the woods to pray himself, and that was his only def defense. <laughs> so, <sighs> the guy that was in charge, the sergeant or whatever it was, said, have you been in the habit of spending hours in private prayer? The officer growled, yes, sir. Then get down on your knees and pray now. You never needed it so much. So expecting immediate death, the soldier knelt and poured out his soul in, soul in prayer. And for the eloquence that could have been inspired only by the power of the Holy Spirit, the answer came out, you can go. The officer said very simply when he had finished, he said, I believe your story. If you had not been so often at drill, you wouldn't have done so well. So if we have to pass a review, how are you doing at drill? Well, let me just say in, in closing that uh, remember, we are in the last days, Acts chapter two, we are in the last hour, First John chapter three, we are in, I think logically, the last minutes, and I don't know where we are on the clock, when is the end? The end is when this gospel is preached in all the world for a witness to all people, then the end will come. And the end does not come, it is our fault. Don't blame anybody else. We haven't prayed right, we haven't given right, we haven't practiced stewardship, we haven't uh, taken the faith-filled risk, but when we do all these things undergirded by prayer, we need to recognize that the end will come and we recognize the definite connection between prayer and our responsibility to complete the task that God has given to us. The return will not happen without our faithfulness in prayer. And his return is near. I'm going to tell you his return is near. I'm going to open my Bible and ask you if you have yours, I want you to listen from Matthew chapter 24. I'm going to quote the verse again. I know it by heart, but I'm going to quote it anyway. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world, Matthew 24, 14. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness to all people, and then the end will come. And then I'm going to go down to verse 29. But immediately after the tribulation of the days, the sun shall be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of heaven will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all of the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory, and he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. Now, learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that the summer is near. Even so, you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near right at the door. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away. And I think what that means is the generation that sees all these things happen concurrently, all at the same time, that generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Jesus Christ is coming again. If you're here today, you don't know the Lord Jesus as your savior, 
you better get busy because <laughs> time is short. And if you're a believer and you've been fiddling around and not been serious in your walk with the Lord, you better get serious because there is the judgment seat of Christ for the believers and the great white throne judgment for the unbeliever. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith at First Alliance Church in Lexington? <laughs>